0: These books are a collection of short, consumable essays that discuss a wide range of topics related to mental health and wellness in post-military life. Head on over to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash books and check them out for yourself or follow the link in the show notes. Welcome to Episode 95 of the Headspace and Timing Podcast. Today's show is another one that highlights an international guest, former UK veteran Andy Price. Andy's story is very similar to that of Veterans Worldwide, and his experiences led him to start the Veterans Hub, a location where other veterans can gather and talk about how their military service impacted them.
1: People need to learn to talk about it within their own communities as well. We're very open where we are at the Veterans Hub. Uh, we run talks for the local college. We run talks for local businesses. So we believe, you know, education is the key to helping people deal with mental health problems and, you know, and coming to understand it. You know, I'm always saying to people there isn't a day that goes by where I don't think of something or remember someone. Or smell something that makes me think of something or hear something that makes me think of an incident that I was in. But what I've, I've come to do is I, I turn what arguably is a negative back into a positive by you know, using it to empower me to help others.
0: Welcome to the Headspace and Timing podcast, a show dedicated to breaking down the stereotypes around veteran mental health. My name is Dwayne France and I'm a retired Army noncommissioned officer and a combat veteran of both Iraq and Afghanistan. After retiring from the army, I took on a new mission as a clinical mental health counselor for my fellow service members. If you served in any branch of the military, then you're familiar with the M2 machine gun, the 50 cal. It's one of the most effective weapons in the military's arsenal. If the weapon's headspace and timing wasn't set correctly, however, it was just a useless chunk of metal. Veterans can be rendered inoperable if their headspace and timing's not set correctly either. That's my goal with this show, to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health and reduce the stigma against seeking support. Each week, we'll talk with mental health professionals, veterans, and those who support service members, veterans, and their families. We're going to have real and honest conversations about a topic that most just don't like to talk about federal mental health. Let's jump into this week's conversation. Hey, everybody, welcome back to the Headspacing Timing Podcast. Uh, I really appreciate the opportunity to uh, to help you understand a little bit more about federal mental health. Uh, as uh, some longtime listeners know, Um, I want to bring on veterans who talk about their own mental health journey, Uh, and we got a bit of a unique opportunity today, not just to talk about how uh, U.S. veterans are dealing with the aftermath of combat, um, but how uh, some of our brothers and sisters in arms internationally are doing that. Um, Again, maybe long-term listeners know that uh, back in episode three, um, I had a conversation with uh, UK reporter Matthew Green, talking about his experiences in, in his book Aftershock. Uh, and then uh, a little bit in the fall of last year, I got a, a message from a, uh, a connection in, in the UK, uh, John Kennedy, who turned me on to what uh, Andy Price and his team are doing in the UK. Uh, not just around Andy's own experience uh, with with mental health in the aftermath of combat, but how he's helping other veterans um, get through what they dealt with. So uh, with very little further ado, I'd like to welcome Andy Price to the show. Andy, welcome.
1: Yeah, hi, Dwayne. Thanks a lot, mate. Thank you. It's good to be here.
0: Yeah, no, I appreciated all the um, making sure the international uh, connection works. I I often, when I talk to veterans from um, other nations, uh, typically uh, UK, Canada, and Australia, we find that we have something more in common with um, those in, uh, in other countries who served in combat than maybe even some of our um, neighbors who hadn't served. And so I really appreciate having the opportunity to, um, to really get a different perspective um, and also to see what's coming. So uh, before we get into that, I'd like to give you an opportunity to tell the audience a little bit about yourself and sort of your background.
1: Yeah, that's fine. Uh, thank you. Yeah, so I, um, I joined the uh, armed forces, the UK armed forces in 2003. I joined a, uh, an infantry battalion called the Rifles. Um, I stayed with them until 2009. During that time, I did three deployments to Afghanistan. So, um, and I left there I left there primarily because, you know, I had, I think I've become accustomed to being in places like that and I wasn't really enjoying what came with being in the military back in, let's say, the real world, we would call it, or uh, back in the UK. So I decided to um, go on to what we call the circuit in the UK, which is the private military world, where for the next few years I worked between Afghanistan, um, Iraq and Libya, uh, part part of the reason I was doing that was because I was unable to adjust to being in uh, the civilian world so you know well I'm sure we're going to talk about this later on anyway but you know it kind of becomes uh, um, if you've been in an environment it can almost become a normality for you and uh, being back in real world can become the abnormal um, I'm a family guy you know I've got a partner we've got two children and uh yeah that's me
0: no, I, I appreciate that. And um, very similar, I think, to U.S. Mm-hmm. veterans. Uh, you spent six years in and through those six years, um, multiple deployments uh, to Afghanistan. But a lot of U.S. veterans, we call it contracting work. And, and so they get out they of the military and then they end up going back as a contractor, um, like you said, um, because of the challenges in adapting back to again, real world or or, or home life. Uh, so I'd like to hear a little bit more about your experiences in Afghanistan. I understand you worked with the uh, Marines for a while.
1: Yeah, I, so this is, um, I worked with the uh, your guys basically uh, when I was contracting privately. So I was, uh, for just under three years, I was in Helmand working. Um, for 17 months of that, I, I worked alongside U.S. Marines in there. Uh, It's a place called Musakala, which, if you've been to Afghanistan, um, is sort of uh, not far from places like Sangin and al So it was a bit of a a hot spot, I suppose. I spent 17 months there. It was was a good working experience. You know, I've made some good friends uh, within the U.S. Marine Corps. Um, And I I stayed with them uh, for some time, went through a few experiences. I then transferred across to uh, Iraq, where I did approximately about, I guess, two, two and a half years. I then um, took a bit of time out for personal reasons. I then went back onto the circuit, ended up in Libya. And uh, last year, I finished finished in that game altogether. But, you know, my, my, the it was good working with the U.S. Marines, actually, because, you know, the similarities between us all, um, and not just because of the language, obviously, but, you know, we're all coming from the same background. We're, we're, we're since, you know, the days of sort of World War Two. Too, we we've always stood kind of side by side with our American uh, counterparts and, you know, also the Australians and the Kiwis and stuff like that and the Canadians. And I think, you know, it kind of creates a common bond because we're we're, we're, in one way or another, we're always supporting each other in the same kind of campaigns.
0: No, that is um, uh, that is absolutely true. On on my second tour to Afghanistan, um, we worked uh, closely with the Canadians as they were uh, primarily support for what we were doing. Uh, and, and as you said, I mean, it is a, very much a, a coalition um, sort of uh, connection there uh, to be able to what we did in the operations. So once you you finished, you got out of the military and then you were doing your contracting work. I, I'd like to hear a little bit about the um, uh, the aftermath. What happened when you finally maybe during that transition um, out of the military before you hit the circuit and then what's been going on afterwards, how was the adjustment for you?
1: Oh, look, you know, I, I made the conscious uh, decision um, during my last deployment, actually, with the military that I was going to go and work privately. Um, I'd been, I felt I'd become accustomed to uh, the infantry side of life, as it were. Um, there is a bit of, when you're looking from the outside in at private contractors, it does look... Uh, it's a little bit of a, it looks a tiny bit glamorous, I guess. You know, there's the financial side of it. There's the fact that they're not actually under military control. They appear to be doing a lot more than what we were doing. Um, but there was also the fact that I think I'd started to realise in myself that I was starting to struggle uh, within with my own mental health. And I wasn't quite sure how to cope with that. So for me, the natural progression seems to be, let's go into the private military world. Um, I I didn't want to be in the UK basically, I didn't didn't want to be at home with my family and when you're working privately you spend eight to nine months of a year away uh, and that suited me just fine. Um, It was an eye-opening experience, it's a bit more of a uh, we call it uh, big boys rules in the UK so you you kind of the emphasis is on you to do your job correctly uh, and maintain yourself as opposed to have say a section commander telling you what you've got to do and where you've got to be at what time. is a really interesting experience. Arguably, though, it just just, uh, added to the problems that were already building up within me.
0: And and you've been uh, really vocal um, online and and through uh, the Veterans Hub about what those challenges were. Um, From what I understand or or what I know about uh, sort of uh, not just mental health support, but medical support, there is no um, Department of Veterans Affairs in the UK in And so how was it for you trying to adjust to, once you're finally done with everything, to address some of those mental health concerns?
1: Right, yeah. Let me say, firstly, uh, I know um, everything is not perfect across in the States. I know that. And even the uh, Department of Veterans Affairs, I know they have their own issues. But I do wish we had something like that over here. And it has been discussed in, uh, within the Ministry of Defence and within uh, Parliament at the moment. However, you know, if it does happen, it's going to be a long way off. But, yeah, the, you know, it's kind of um, support in the UK is not what it should be. You know, we've been involved in conflict for, especially within the Middle East, you know, after 9-11 and everything like that. And also with the uh, second Gulf War just before that, we've been involved in conflict now for, what, coming on two decades, you know, one way or another. And some of these, uh, some of the people that have been in have deployed continuously throughout that time. You know, so that's longer than the two world wars put together, and, uh, and we're coming back, and you know, we're kind of just thrown to the wolves, as it were. We're just we beam up. Um There's no transition period. Um, transition is usually, you know, from, from operations to being back in the UK. It's three or four days. It's called our um, our transition period, and then if you leave the military after you get back, you know, they said there's a 12 month period where you're going to transition or transist out of the military into Civvy Street. But during that time, there's there's really no sort of no guidance as to what it's going to be like to be back in Civvy Street. Um, and there's no follow-up either. So, you know, whatever it is, whether you've got a, a physical injury or a mental health injury, you're passed over to, you go from the military to uh, being passed over to our uh, National Health Service. Um, the National Health Service are on demand that they're, you know, financially they're struggling and also they have no experience of supporting veterans. So what you find is a lot of the guys um, either get forgotten about or they go into the NHS um, and find that the uh, support is inadequate because people don't know how to deal with veterans and they just end up falling by the wayside which is why we have a problem with uh, guys living on the streets. We've got a huge problem with uh, suicide in the UK uh, within the veterans community. Um, it's epidemic some would say and it's just you know, it's just it's not a good situation for us to be in. We don't have the patriotism that you guys have towards uh, veterans. You know, when I've come to America, I've seen a distinct difference between how civilians look at veterans uh, over there as to how we're looked at over here. You know, there doesn't seem to be any kind of recognition. And that's not necessarily what we want over here. You know, it's a job we're doing and, you know, we've done our jobs. Uh, and we don't want pats on the back everywhere we go and we don't want people cheering everywhere we go. But it would be nice if there was some kind of acknowledgement you know, from those in a position to make life a bit easier for us um, if they did that, you know, in return for what we've done for them.
0: No, that's a that's a great point, uh, especially seeing it from a, uh, a U.S. veteran standpoint. And you've heard it before. I'm certain that, you know, we can get kind of uncomfortable, you know, kind of thank you for your service and, and what all that means. Uh, and then i also see veterans and we saw this especially after vietnam uh, for the vietnam veterans for about 15 years where um not just their service was taken for granted but it wasn't just acknowledged at all Uh, and it's interesting Mm. to hear that that's sort of the uh, the way that the um the non-military population in the uk responds to veterans
1: yeah i mean on the face of it you know um, especially with the organization I'm running now in, in the part of the UK that I live in, on the face of it, you know, there is a kind of a, uh, underlining respect there and everything like that. And we have seen that locally. But I think it's a, there's a lack of education within the public. They didn't really understand the consequences of going into conflict. Um, because there's a, a kind of an economic crisis in the UK anyway. You know, so emphasis that, uh, you know, for the public as a whole, you yeah, the priority isn't supporting the guys and girls that being been overseas. Um, if you take me as an example, actually, you know, uh, sort of April time, 2017, I had, uh, wrong, sorry, uh, 2018, actually, I think it was, I had um, quite a, a substantial breakdown, basically. Um, and during that period, um, I was unable to do anything for myself and my partner was, Trying to get me support, so you know she, she took me to an organisation we have over here called Combat Stress, which is a charity set up and financed by the government to support veterans. Um, and she said, you know, my partner is suicidal. He's made a plan to take his own life if he goes back overseas. Um, he's been diagnosed with PTSD. You know, we need support, and they said, you know, there's a ten-month waiting list. You know, before we can get anyone to see him. So she took me to the local hospital to the accident and emergency ward and said. I would like some help with my partner because I feel that he's try to take his own life. He's a danger to himself and people around him. They turned us away because they said they didn't have the experience or knowledge or manpower to support a veteran going through that. Yeah, and it was just a continuous thing for about a week. We were getting turned away from everywhere because the waiting list is so long and also the people don't have the experience to support us. Funnily enough, this is, you know, the whole idea of peer support came from because during that period, there was a US Marine that I was... Um, in Helmandworth for seven months. She's a godparent to our youngest daughter and she she actually flew over to spend a couple of weeks with us before she she was going to tour Europe for three months. Um, She came sort of in the middle of all of that and she cancelled her uh, tour of Europe to stay with me and my family for three months to give us support. And where the uh, health services were lacking and the government was lacking, actually just being able to sit down and talk with someone who had been through them you know shared experiences with me overseas who had been there when i was injured etc cetera, etc cetera, you know uh, made a massive difference to me and helped bring me back down you know onto this kind of plane that we're
0: on you know the similarities between your experiences as, as you had mentioned earlier yes um, everywhere has its own challenges and much of the similar ones those individuals who are familiar with and equipped to support veteran mental health. There's such a long wait list. And then there's another group of individuals that you can get in immediately, but they don't understand that veteran culture. Um, And then your experience with the Marine who came over, it it boggles my mind that a, a U.S. vet traveled to the U.K. and gave you better support than you were able to get at home. And, and that yeah. goes to reinforce the idea of um, those that we served with may be better equipped um, than those who have never served to be able to provide that support.
1: Yeah, I'd agree with that. I'd agree with that. I mean, obviously, there's things we can't, you know, things we can't do. For instance, I'm, I'm not a qualified mental health worker. I'm not a psychiatrist. You know, uh, I'm not a psychologist or anything like that. Um, but there is something to be said. For people that've been through the same experiences, supporting each other. Um, sometimes guys and girls don't actually need to sit in a room, a clinical environment, uh, and spill their heart out. You know, to someone who hasn't been there. Sometimes they just need to be part of that brotherhood again, and part of that family again, and just be able to, uh, uh, you know, talk freely about their experiences without anyone judging them or, or, or you know, uh, um, mocking what they're saying or not understanding what they're saying. And I think there's something to be said for that.
0: I absolutely agree. They're, not every veteran needs to sit in front of a therapist. Um, there's different levels of um, maybe challenge and discomfort. If we're if we're dealing with something as complex as post traumatic stress disorder on top of depression and things like that, uh, obviously we want to make sure that someone's safe from you know harm of, of self and others. Uh, but there's also. You know, we handle things at the lowest level. <laughs> I know we did when I was in the Army. I'm certain that you did. And uh, and we know that, you know, you deal with things at the lowest level that they need to be dealt. And mental health can can really be that as well. And so if all another veteran needs is to sit down and connect with other veterans, that's what the the peer support uh, thing is all about. Obviously, you as, as someone who's interested needs to make sure what you can do and what you can't do. I get the sense that's really where the veterans hub started
1: yeah that is really I mean the that came along uh, funnily enough the the uh, u s marine I mentioned and it was my partner came up with the idea of looking around it there are other people in our locality going through the same issues we felt very isolated, which is an absurd thing to think about actually because you know th- this is a small country we're in and uh, the area I live in has a strong history with the military, but yeah, when you're going through a mental health problem, you do feel isolated, and if you're supporting someone with a mental health problem, you feel isolated as well. So we we started reaching out to if there's anyone local, and it turned out, you know, I think on the the first drop in evening, I arranged um, just over a year ago now, where basically I said, come on, let's get a few guys and girls together, and maybe we can just have a coffee, have a brew, uh, uh, just talk, and just. See if we can help each other. We have 15 people turn up on the first evening, you know, all uh, going through similar experiences, all saying the same kind of thing that there was a lack of support out there, all saying that they missed the the sort of uh, uh, family environment from being in the military, you know, the 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 sort of brotherhood if you will, you know, and uh, that that's worked for us. You know, we, we very much encourage. You know, people to remember what they were doing when they were in the military. We were taught to look after each other, look out for each other and help each other through things. And we think that's what's missing when you come out. You feel very isolated. You feel like you're not part of that brotherhood anymore. You feel like you're not part of that extended family anymore. So what we encourage guys and girls to do is actually come together and support each other. You know, we're not saying that the, the, we, we understand basically about the finance side of things. We understand that yeah, there's an economic crisis on and We understand that our health services are overstretched. So what we're saying is to take a bit of a bit of pressure off of them and don't rely on them so much and do what you can do to support each other. And then for the areas where you can't do that, then we fall back to them.
0: So it, I'm, I'm wondering if you were surprised at, at how that took off with, you know, having those 15 veterans in that first drop-in, and, and I assume there have been um, more since then, uh, but that's sort of the the devil in the isolation is you feel like you're alone and then all of a sudden you look up and there's fifteen of you uh, who also feel like they're alone and you realize that you're not.
1: Yeah, it was um, look, the, the first evening we ran, my partner said to me, I, I was incredibly nervous. You know my uh, I mean, the anxiety levels were going through the roof. and you know, I found a, a venue we could use. It was uh, something that I know that has a uh, support organization for kids with disabilities are going to use my venue in the evening uh, for two hours if you want once a week. So my partner said to me if no one turns up on the first evening don't be surprised because you know this is in its infancy and we don't really know who's out there. I got down there and there's people queuing up you know to come through the door and uh, it kind of blew my mind really and we now support I would say you know we support in excess of 40 veterans locally uh, you know, in various different ways we, and we support guys all the way back from the uh, World War II era as well. We support their families. Um, yeah, so it's just been a bit of a, a bit of a crazy one this year. You know, it's, it's gone from nothing to something fairly big fairly quickly. Um, the sad fact of it is, though, it's, it's also, despite the fact we're, we've created our own little community here where we live in the UK, the um, sad fact is there's so many people out there struggling from the veterans community. You know, and it, it was just a massive eye opener for me. In the first four months, you know, we had three guys kill themselves in one week, and you know, these were one of them was what we would class as a service user, so he he was coming to us for support. Um, the other two guys we were aware of, um, yeah, just in one week they all took their own lives, and we that's happened time and time again down here as well. So it's just we do what we can when we can. You know, we we, we can't stop everyone from taking that week, but we. We we try to make a little bit of a difference down here.
0: No, and and even as you're talking and and those veterans who are listening to this are are absolutely, uh, again, you're just hitting all of the notes um, that, that we're experiencing over here and the similarities in my mind um it, to me what i knew but they're they're staggering right you know this is uh, organizations that are providing support to veterans uh and then in spite of even some of the support the suicides continue uh, another similarity and and i'm glad that you had brought it up is is you're not just focusing on current era veterans right you know you didn't um, uh, the UK didn't have the conflicts, obviously, that we did. Um, but I, I would imagine, you know, there's, there's Falklands veterans, um, uh, and then, as you said, World War II. Uh, are you noticing a difference between veterans um, from generations past to connect to veterans of today? Yeah,
1: the, uh, I mean, oh yeah,
0: uh, funny. I was speaking to one of the guys from World
1: War II the other day, a guy called Peter Price, same surname as me, and he was saying to me, you know, there is isn't a day that goes by where he doesn't think of that conflict or think of the situations he was in or think of the guys that he lost. But it it was a different era and they were taught to deal with it differently, I think. You know, there was very much a mental health problems weren't accepted at that time in the way they are now. There was no support for these guys and girls and they very much went on to lead the lives that they led and there was, arguably, there was more suicides back then than what there are now. Uh, um, but it's the same thing, you know. If you speak to someone from World War II, if you speak to someone from the Falklands, uh, they're all saying the same thing. You know, it's the, it's the adjustment from being in a situation like that to being back in what we class as being the normal world, you know, the real world. Um, it's the fact they suddenly lose that comradeship, they, they, they lose that family. You know, at, at best case scenario, you've got a small payout financially and you get a medal and that's it. And then you're expected to crack on with your life when arguably you've been through some of the most traumatic experiences that anyone can experience, you know, throughout a lifetime. And it's just really sad to see how many of these guys from conflicts gone by, you know, um, have spent you know years struggling with their own mental health and just keeping it to themselves because they came from an era where they were taught not to talk about it. And they felt, you know, and because people didn't talk about it, they felt they were the only ones. That's how isolated they felt.
0: Yeah, if you'll forgive me for uh, perhaps using a British idiom, but the uh, the idea of the stiff upper lip, right? You know, that's the, um, you know, we, we come back. And, and that's the same thing we experienced with the uh, our post-World War II generation. I've mentioned it before, um, where both of my, or two of my uh, three grandfathers, my modern family, um, served uh, in World War II or in the World War II era. And none of us knew about it um, until, at least I didn't know about it until after, um, you know I yeah. had deployed and so it was one of those things that generationally uh, and and I think back to this uh, the World War two veteran um he's got to be in his nineties um the The conflict has played over over in his mind. We're seeing the same thing with Vietnam veterans We're fifty years on from Vietnam, and I talked to Vietnam veterans as a clinician who've said there's not been a day gone by over the last fifty years that I haven't thought about what happened in nineteen sixty eight And as you said, that can be challenging for anybody to bear, but definitely to bear alone.
1: Absolutely, yeah. I
0: mean, um, first of all, I'll just uh, throw in there quickly.
1: Um, It's worth knowing, especially for you guys over in the States, you might not be aware of this. Um, British forces have been involved in the conflict every single year for the past hundred years, um, in one shape or form or the other, whether it's just a small deployment or, you know, a large-scale deployment as what we see in the Gulf and Afghanistan. But the... um, yeah, I don't, you know, I, I've had this argument with uh, health officials, I've had this argument with the Ministry of Defence up in London, if you're a civilian and you go through one traumatic experience, whatever that may be, and I'm not going to take away from any traumatic experiences because, you know, it's all it's all uh, respected to the individual, but you seem to get a lot of help thrown at you, you know, it, a loved one dies and, you know, you're offered therapy by the health services, you know, you lose a job you suffer from a bit of depression, you are for therapy and maybe you're given some pills to take you know, to sort of perk you up for a little while. With the stiff upper lip thing, you know, you serve in the military and you expose, you are exposed to traumatic events or, or, or the threat of, uh, you know, your life coming to an end for months on end. And, you know, you're just told to suck it up and get on with it because that was the job you chose to do. And told to be proud of it and you're told to, you know, wear your medals with pride when you do parades. And you're just told to get on with that. And that's one of the big arguments I have. You know, what's the difference between a civilian going through one traumatic event and a veteran going through multiple traumatic events? You know, what makes you think we can cope better than a civilian? You know, and it just seems to be an unfair thing. And that's what ends up leading to suicides, people living on the streets, marriage breakdowns, people not being able to work. Um, You know guys ended up in prison. There's a large percentage of um, our prison population is actually veterans to the point now where they're talking about making uh, veteran only prisons because we've got that many um, who are incarcerated at the moment.
0: Again, very similar. I work with uh, with justice involved veterans uh, through our local courts and uh, here in my county in our area um, in our local just the jail itself. Uh, on any given day, there's anywhere from one hundred and fifty to two hundred veterans who are incarcerated, either awaiting trial or serving a sentence in the short term. Uh, and that's just in the local jail. Um, in our Colorado prison system recently, um, i I visited um, one of our local penitentiaries, um, and they've set up an entire veteran cell block. Um, and so there's about sixty five veterans um, who are are serving time in this this particular. Prison. Uh, and so, again, very similar to what we're seeing in the US. And, uh, and like you said, tragic as well.
1: Yeah, it is 100%. I, I think, you know, one of the things that leads to these kind of issues within the veterans community as well, it's got to be saying, so, you know, there's a guy we support at the moment. So he was um, a platoon sergeant with 16 Air Assault, which is, a, you know, air, an airborne brigade or battalion. Um, he was a platoon sergeant, you know, 15 years. He went on multiple operations. He was in charge of men. He was in charge of you know thousands and thousands of pounds worth of equipment. He can make life and death decisions. Um, he comes out of the military because he he had a breakdown and they felt that he wouldn't be able to continue his career. He's demobilized. He comes back into civil street and he's a nobody. You know because he's been in the military, it doesn't give you preference for jobs in the UK. Exactly. So he has because he because he was uh, you know infantry. You know, he doesn't have a skill set that's transferable into Civvy Street, so he can't get a job. You know, he hasn't got a family. He's homeless. He's been in and out of the prison system. Uh, And arguably, again, you know, this has been enabled by the military just getting rid of him and expecting him to get on. You can't go from being somebody within a certain environment to being, you know, nobody. And that's one of the things that he struggles with.
0: And that's one of the things that that all of us struggle with. you know I mean this is um, yeah. you ap- appear to have created your own mission. Um, I uh, and I've said it before, I feel as as satisfied and now picking up a mission after my twenty two years in the Army um, than than arguably I might have done even during some of the the time when I was in the Army. Um, but not a lot of veterans are aware that that's even a thing that they can do. create their own space. Um, after leaving the military, uh, and and sometimes veterans need help to be aware of that, and, and even support to sort of uh, uh, carve their own space.
1: Yeah, I agree with that one hundred percent. You know, I, I think whatever role you've had in the military, and whatever service you were in in the UK, you know, whether it's the uh, RAF or you know the Air Force as you guys call it, and or the Navy or, or the Army or the Marines, you know, we have got you know a specialized set of skills we know how to manage people we know how to time manage ourselves we know how to learn new skills we know how to persevere at them you know learn new skills and I think some of the guys and girls forget that as well Uh, and they just need to be reminded that there are ways that they can use what they've learned to you know give themselves a meaningful life after they've left the military and the other thing is talking about it you know people need to learn to talk about within their own communities as well we're very open where we are at the veterans hub uh, we run talks for the local college, we run talks for local businesses. So we believe, you know, education is the key to helping people deal with mental health problems and you know, and coming to understand it. You know, I, I'm always saying to people there isn't a day that goes by where I don't think of something or remember someone or smell something that makes me think of something or hear something that makes me think of an incident that I was in. But what I've, I've come to do is I, I turn what arguably is a negative back into a positive by, you know, using it to empower me to help others. Does that make sense to me?
0: I, I can go on a little bit. No, absolutely. <laughs> it it does make a lot of sense. Uh, it it makes so much sense again because <laughs> I, I hear the same thing. Um I, I feel the same thing. You know, it's again this isn't this isn't for us, you know, like John Rambo having flashbacks and and taking over a town. Um, but we're always going to see post-military life through our veteran filter and with our uh, accumulated experiences. Yeah, and, and so the idea of of you know <laughs> what we went through impacted us. It would it's not bad. It didn't make us crazy. But that idea of being able to um, to be able to communicate that to others that's what you've done with the uh, the Veterans Hub. Yeah,
1: and, it, and it's just. On that one it hasn't made i obviously i mean i am diagnosed with uh, like a complex ptsd i guess uh, um, depression anxiety you know so yes i do struggle um, with what i have i look at it as just being an illness that i have to manage um it hasn't made us crazy i think for it just gives people a different perspective on life if you've been to the places we've been it makes you look at life differently so you know with the whole aggression thing that veterans seem to have you know people look at veterans and they think they're they're quick to fire up. They're quick to fight. Um, I, don't, I don't think really it's a problem of our aggression. I think it's because of the places we've been. We just have a lower, lower tolerance of what we see as being bullshit. You know, we, we just, we know how to get jobs done. We just want to get jobs done. We just want to make sure we do good jobs and that we help, you know, we make a difference. So a lot of it's just making the guys, as you said, making people realize what they can and can't do when they come out.
0: You you bring up a, a very good point, and, and I, I see it a lot with veterans who, you know, we see things more globally, right? You know, we, we just talked about earlier um, uh, just about being exposed to different cultures through coalition forces, um, uh, the U.K. and Canadians and, and Australians and so on. Um, and so we understand things more globally than someone who may have never left America, much less— um, maybe never left their, their city or their community, um, other than just like a vacation. And, and so just that lower tolerance, because we understand, and I don't want to say, um, you know, things aren't important, but I had a colleague who, uh, and he was previously on the show, who who worked with veterans, and then he worked with, uh, with university students. And he said uh, some of the challenges uh, that he saw with university students were you know, I'm frustrated because my roommate ate my cheese without asking, and and he was like, <laughs> "Listen,
1: listen, that is a frustrating thing."
0: It is a frustrating thing, um, <laughs> but he was like, "It's it's not uh, it's not at the level of some of the complex and and repeated uh, things that that veterans have seen." Um, and everybody has their own tolerance for challenges, um, but understanding that uh, that this is something that comes along with veterans is. You know, we've seen – and it's not bragging. It's not see we've seen things that men should shudder at. But but it's actually true is is we have a different outlook.
1: It is. And it's not even seeing things that uh, – to paraphrase you there where you said shudder at. You know, the thing is whatever people's thoughts and whatever veterans' thoughts on uh, places like Afghanistan and Africa or all these different places that in our lifetime we deploy to um, – whatever our thoughts on them places, the fact is we've seen another way of life. We've actually seen how people really do struggle and make the best of what they have. You know, where where we take things for granted here in the UK, and I'm sure you do in the States, you know, that there is access to schools, to food, water, you know, shops, medical care, everything like that. But we've been to places where, you know, they haven't even heard of the word school. They wouldn't understand education. You know, they're lucky if they see a doctor once a year or once every two years, you know, they have to make rice and whatever they have last for a whole family for a long time. So we've seen we've seen a different way of life and it just puts everything into perspective. You know, it, it makes you realize what we have.
0: It certainly does. I, I'm thinking of uh, when I was in Iraq and, and we were in Baghdad. And and almost it, it's become cliche when veterans tell these stories. But uh, my camp was in the middle of a dump um, for um, you know, for the north of the river in Baghdad. And there were people who literally lived in the garbage dump and created their their houses um, out of the refuse that other people threw away. Um, you know, I was in, uh, my last uh, deployment was to uh, Mauritania, uh, and we were at a camp outside Kifa, which is a fairly large city in Mauritania. And as you said, you know, you're, you're exposed to what other people don't have. Um, Versus in overlays comparatively to what we do have, and that's an eye-opening experience. So it's not just the combat that veterans experience, um, but it's the exposure that that, as you've said a couple times, um, what we think of the normal world is no longer the normal world. Um, our deployments become the normal world.
1: Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I uh, agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, you know, when I was in Afghanistan, for instance. Um, I used to. It was nine sort of nine to ten weeks away at a time, with just under three weeks back on my leave. Um, you know, I did that for three years. Now, before I'd come home to the UK, I would start suffering anxiety attacks, you know, uh, quite bad ones as well. And you know, my my sleep would go out of sync. You know, I'd start uh, um, panicking, having minor panic attacks as well. And that's because actually, I felt. I felt that Afghanistan had become a home for me. Mm-hmm. Actually, coming away from that, coming back to the U.K., I felt that was more detrimental to my mental health than being there. You know, I felt more comfortable being overseas, you know, living out of a, a patrol base or, or a fob than I did being back here with my family. And I think it does become a way of life.
0: And I think that's important for people to understand. You know, we talk about, um, in in the U.S., a. a, a a reduced number of uh, individuals are serving in the military and we call it the the civilian military divide the divide between those who served and those who hadn't uh, but i think that's a great um uh, illustrative point to say that those who have never served in combat may feel the anxiety and and the trepidation that you felt before going to war but i certainly recognize and and as you said uh, some veterans feel that way when leaving war. Um, you know that old movie Apocalypse Now, right? You know when I was there, uh, all I could think about was being here uh, and getting back into the jungle. <laughs> and, and, being there, and yeah, right. And and that's a challenge for for all veterans, I think, to experience that. But also for those who never served to try to understand that. And, and it sounds like that's that you're doing a a pretty good job, at least locally to be able to bring that understanding to your community.
1: Yeah, I think we are. I mean, I don't don't know how much um, you know about everything that we do. You've obviously seen the documentary from The Guardian. Um, But effectively what we've done, we've created a – and it was actually in the – it came about – it went from being like once a week for two hours a night to um, a full-time project very quickly because when – these guys killed themselves. We, we we wasn't sure if we could have made a difference to them if we'd been a full-time project. Or we felt um, definitely the guys had felt very isolated It's one of the issues that they had. And we, we thought if we had a full-time project, would they have been able to, you know, come and engage with us? You know, would it have been different if we'd been full-time? So very quickly we took over a full-time project, we spoke to all the guys and girls coming through the door, said, What would you like to see? They said they would like a sort of a a coffee shop stroke cafe that would be open to the public um, during the daytime so that uh, the public could see what we were doing and could also engage with the guys and girls and learn more about us. So they could have a better understanding of the veterans living within their community. Um, We also, you know, we get other agencies to come in that don't uh, have offices local to us to do drop-in advice clinics for our guys and girls. And, you know, at the moment, it seems to be working really well. just when I left there today to come back to do a Skype call with you, you know, I think we had about uh, 20, 25 people in the cafe, a mixture of civilians and, and veterans, um, all engaging with each other, all talking. We had kids there, you know, we've just taken over um, a large uh, green area, so we've got some gardens now. We're going to be putting a, a gym into the gardens. We're going to be putting um, some work in allotments because the guys want to uh, produce vegetables and work together to do that. So it's, um, yeah, it seems to be going well. And by doing this, we've managed to get the local community to engage with us as well. So, you know, yesterday we had low school kids come down who have raised some money for us. Um, You know, we have local businesses come down to see what we're doing and they learn from us because we're so open about our experiences and we're so open about the mental health side of things. You know, they see that happening so they ask us to give them advice and, you know, I, I think we're making a difference locally anyway, Dwayne.
0: No, this is uh, – it's amazing to hear um, as, uh, as we were talking and um, getting ready for the call over the past couple of weeks or so. Uh, I, I had the feeling, yeah. even from from my past experience in talking to Matt Green, that that which um, we have as similarities are much greater than that which we have are differences. Um, and I've seen the same kind of thing here in the States um, where veterans will come together um, and essentially take it in their own hands and say that, um, you know, if, if no one else is going to do this for us, we need to do this for us. And again, it doesn't it can be therapeutic with a little T where it doesn't necessarily have to be therapy with a big T, um, whereas I'm certain that when it does get to that point, you and your team are aware and then have the ability to connect the veteran um, to, to, let's say, the next level of care with mental health.
1: Yeah, correct. There's, so, uh, and I'm going to use my area for an example, but there's no effective support where we live. Okay. that so there's nothing geared up to support veterans and their families. So, and we're talking about a county here, which is, you know, um, you guys call a mistake, but this is a county-wide problem. So we put ourselves in a position, we're continuously learning daily and we're, we're testing and adjusting all the time, but we put ourselves in a position now where we're able to call upon other services if there's something that we know is beyond our scope of operations. So we can refer people to certain health services, we can refer, refer people to certain charities, it takes a bit of a strain of them because they're not having to go through the hundreds of sort of uh, assessment forms that they get sent, you know, so we are making difference and throughout the country actually. What you're seeing now is in one shape or form or the other, we're seeing lots of veterans doing similar things. You know, by doing this, we found out about other organisations. Whether they work full time, whether they're working just once a week, twice a week, they're doing similar things. Uh, um, you know, not maybe with the same sort of spec um, uh, as us. I, you know, we've got a coffee shop and everything, but I know guys that organise weekly walks out over the hills and stuff up in the Breckens for guys and girls. We've got guys who organise fishing trips. We've got guys who just organise. You know, gym sessions, whatever it is, they're coming together to work together because there's no better support than, you know, each other.
0: You know, this puts me in mind of, of something that happened in uh, in the 80s here in the States um, in which um, we we have, as you said, the Department of Veterans Affairs, but there's also sort of a sub-organization as, as part of the Veterans Health Administration called our Vet Centers, which are essentially outpatient mental health counseling clinics, um, as similar to the one that I work for in the in the civilian sector. Um, but how the vet centers came about was Vietnam veterans finally looked around and said, "Well, our needs aren't being served," and so they gathered together and created these. Um, essentially, they're separate from the main VA. They're not in the VA hospitals. They're out in the communities, um, and it sounds like that's what you and and other um, veterans, not just necessarily current era veterans, but other veterans are doing uh, again to to address these needs on our own um, if they're not being addressed otherwise.
1: Yeah, that's it. It sounds like you guys are ahead of the game with that, actually. But that, that's that's essentially what we're doing here. So, I uh, was speaking to someone um, the other day from one of the uh, sort of big charities over here, and I she was the CEO of uh, one of them. And I was saying to you, you know, we're not here to tread on your toes and we're not here to try to take away from what you guys are doing. We're here to compliment you. So we're trying to take the pressure off of you um, in the hopes that locally you can you know, eventually uh, provide a more efficient service for our veterans that we can't support ourselves. And, you know, going back just quickly, it's, it's slightly off subject, I guess. But, you know, you mentioned Vietnam a couple of times and everyone, I think it's it's well known um, how the public perceived a lot of Vietnam veterans when they were coming back, you know, how they perceived the war. And I've seen a couple of uh, uh, clippings as well, you know, uh, footage of um, the, of the, the kind of anger that your veterans faced when they were returning from Vietnam from the public. And that's another reason we do what we do now, because the only reason that anger exists is because people don't actually understand what we're doing, why we're there. We're not there necessarily because we want to be there. We're part of a system that sent us there to do a a particular job. And, you know, people just don't understand that. So we have to learn to be more. open. An example of that would be a few years ago, someone asked me, um, you know, was I proud of the fact that I killed children? You know, and I I was trying to do kind of a, uh, Yeah, part-time college course so I could improve, improve what you know, improve myself. And I was asked this. You know, it was a young lady. She said, "Are you proud of the fact you kill kids?" I've never killed a child in my life, as far as I'm aware. You know, and I felt, even though that knocked me back, I felt this is maybe not even her fault. Yes, it was a bad question to ask. Yes, there was no need for her to ask that. But she's obviously got a misconception of what it is we do in the military. So the only way to change that is for us to actually. Educate and be more open about what it is we do and don't do.
0: No, I think that's outstanding. And from what I have seen um, through through some of the research that I've done about the Veterans Hub and, and what you're doing, it it definitely seems like um, that's the impact that you're making. Uh, and that's really what we're all trying to do is just to be able to get those those messages and those stories out there so if somebody was interested maybe you know it, it, apparently i have a small following in the uk um it, but if someone in the uk is is hearing about this for the first time and is interested in in seeing what you're doing um, or uh, those in the us who are, are maybe interested in in seeing what veterans hub is doing how can they find you online
1: yeah okay so we we've um we we talk to anyone we're happy to share something we do with anyone so the best way to get hold of us is um, over social media, we've, we've got a Facebook account, uh, we, we've got a Twitter account, but don't ask me about that because I don't really understand tech. Um, but we do have a Facebook account and it is just the Veterans Hub. And we've also, for the cafe we run, there's another one, the Veterans Hub Community Cafe. They're quite easy to find. I don't know if you're going to be able to show our logo at some point on your page. Um, and, yeah, if anyone's got any questions or they want to come and see the project or, or they want some information from us, all they've got to do is fire, fire a message out to us and we'll get back to them.
0: No, I, I really appreciate that. I am definitely going to make sure that uh, all of those links are in the show notes and then shared, uh, like you said, across social media uh, okay. just to help uh, is, is what you've said several times is just the idea of um, – veterans may feel as though they're isolated um while they're really not And in spreading the word as much as we can um can can literally and and what your goal and my goal is to eventually save lives so i really appreciate what you're doing yeah. and
1: uh, yeah and, i mean just you know I, I know it's getting close to time to sign up now but i just want to say Dwayne, you know one it's been really good talking to you but the other thing is you know, and it's not as simple as this. I know. You know, it, it, it's easy for me to say this, and you know, I know it's not as simple as this. But the fact is, you know, what, what, however we've served, wherever we've been, whatever we've done, you know, there's nothing we can do to change that. It is what it is. Yeah, we're we're lucky to be here. You know, and yes, we do feel isolated. When we come out, but the fact is, you know, if you're in a, a battalion. And you've got all them people around you when you're in, all them people are outside as well. And all we've got to do is reach out and that's it. Because, you know, there's more people than what you realize going through the same things and they're questioning themselves and they've got the same guilt trips. But, you know, we can't change it. It's happened. We need to test, readjust, We need to move on and make something of ourselves because, you know, I've lost one too many friends. And I'm sure, you know, even though I can't help the way I feel at times, I'm sure they wouldn't want to see me feeling like this. Okay, they want they want me to create a life of myself, and that's what we're trying to do here. And you know, I just if only if we only help one person, if we only change the life of one person, then you know, as far as I'm concerned, we've all achieved something.
0: No, that's uh, that's absolutely the truth, and you know, and sometimes we might talk about that, uh, you know, whether it's cliche, we may say that, but do we really mean it? But but it's actually true. Um, if yeah, it is right. It's true. And if only one person, um, if one veteran, whether UK or Canadian, or, um, interestingly enough, there's a lot of Ukrainian veterans who are,
1: yeah, um, yeah.
0: <laughs> you know, who are, are emerging into this. I've, I've, uh, actually had someone who was at the embassy in Egypt where, um, uh, a lot of the Egyptian military is starting to struggle with these things. So if any one veteran anywhere, um, listens to this conversation and, uh, and decides to reach out to somebody, then uh, then I think your time and my time was well spent.
1: Yeah, that's it. I mean, look, and just for an interest point for you, it's the same in Germany as well. I've got German family now, and um, I was over there and I bumped into a, a guy from, who served in Afghanistan as well, and, you know, the similarities between what you and me have talked about and what they're going through. Yeah, arguably, they're going through worse times than us, because there is no recognition of anything over there at all. You know, and it, it was just, just wherever you go, it's across the board. And the point is, you know, we can help each other. We can support each other. We can't change what's happened. Um, there was a guy the other day who came into me, and he's traumatized by an incident in Northern Ireland where he, he killed a guy, you know. And he suffers this massive guilt complex from it. And yes, it's not a nice thing. Yes, we would all like to avoid killing people if we could. But the point is, it wasn't his fault. That's what I was trying to say to him. You feel like it was, but actually you were put into that situation, and it was a situation of you being killed or injured or one of your colleagues being killed or injured or you killing this guy or injuring this guy you know and we're all in exactly the same situation there's no one to blame you know it's a job we're sent to do and it's just coming to terms with that and learning how to move on from that you know nothing can make a difference it's done
0: truer words were never spoken my friend
1: yeah so there you go well, this has been good Wayne. thank you
0: no absolutely i appreciate you coming on the show as well um, definitely going to try to uh, let as many people know about uh, about what you're doing uh, as possible, uh, in, in trying to share this so that, like you said, that uh, veterans can realize that we're not alone. Absolutely, brother. Absolutely. You're listening to Headspace and Timing, where we're trying to change the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health. Does that sound familiar? Much of what Andy talks about is the same thing that U.S. veterans experience. From being told we're not equipped to deal with veterans to being asked what it's like to kill, there appear to be experiences that are common amongst all former service members. Andy's responses to these challenges is similar to that of many other veterans, to pick up a shovel and help their fellow veterans the best way they can. The Veterans Hub is essentially a social enterprise, an organization that uses commercial and business practices to make a social impact. We've talked about the benefits of peer support before on the show, and Andy's making an effort to use these benefits for the improvement of his fellow soldiers. Even through all of this, things aren't always the greatest. Andy talks about how he's recently had a setback when it comes to mental health, and that's going to happen with all veterans. Some major, some minor, but you don't go to combat and come back completely unscathed. But the trick is to acknowledge when things are getting rough again, address the problem, and pick back up and get into the fight. Hopefully Andy's story is one that can resonate with service members, veterans, and their families, and those who support them. The more we hear the common stories, the easier it is to tell our own. Thanks for taking the time to check us out. If you want to find the show notes for this episode, go to VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash HST095. While you're there, share the link to the show with somebody that you think may enjoy it. One of the challenges in changing the way that we think and talk about veteran mental health is how do we spread the word? You can subscribe in a bunch of different podcast players like iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and many others. Check everywhere you can hear us at VeteranMentalHealth.com forward slash platforms. If a player you listen to podcasts on isn't there, then let me know and I'll figure out how to get there. <laughs> While you're checking it out, consider dropping a rating or review on the show. It helps for the show to rank higher in searches. A colleague and friend of mine who's a guest on an upcoming show mentioned to me that I probably don't know half of the people who are impacted the show, and that's for sure. I want to give a shout out to a Twitter follower, Gigi Griffith, who sent a great message of encouragement. If we don't get that kind of feedback, then we don't know how we're doing. You can find out how to share the same feedback on the podcast player you use by going to www.federamentalhealth.com forward slash platforms. We have another way for you to give feedback, too. After nearly two years of running this circus on my own, I got somebody to help me out. Doc Johnson, a former Army medic, has agreed to help me wrangle this mess. You can get a message to me and her by dropping an email to info at One more thing. Just a reminder that the guests and information in this show are for educational purposes only. It's not meant to be considered professional advice. While I am a clinical mental health counselor, I am not your therapist. If something you've heard on the show makes you think that you need to talk to somebody, then reach out to do so. I'd like to thank Doc Todd for giving us permission to use his track, Not Alone, from his album Combat Medicine. Doc's trying to bring the discussion about veteran mental health out of the darkness and into the light, and you can see all of his work at therealdoctod.com. Make sure to join us next week for another great episode, and until then, remember veterans, you're not alone, ever.